Hey, hey, all you investors out there. This is Dustin Heiner with the Master Passive Income Podcast. Now, today I have something special for you. I have Tom Sylvester on the show with me today. I interview him, and he is the founder of Lifestyle Builders Podcast. He also is a real estate investor, and that's why I brought him on the shows, because I want you to see how other people invest in real estate and use that to be able to quit their job, be able to change their life. And as Tom's other businesses are, he's a serial entrepreneur, he also teaches about lifestyle building, how to build a business that fits how you want your life to be lived. All right, so without much further ado, let's jump into this interview where we talk to Tom Sylvester, get his insights. I hope you learn as much as I did and even more from Tom. All right, guys, let's jump into this podcast session, session number nine. Let's do it. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Everybody, this is Tom Sylvester, he is a friend of mine. I've known him for about a year now, a little over a year. And uh, Tom's a great guy. He's a great investor. And um, I wanted to bring him on the, the show because he has done so much with his real estate as well as other businesses. Anyways, Tom, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. When uh, you reached out about this, I was so excited because we've had so many talks about real estate and business and everything else. And we're like twins. So <laughs> this will be a really good uh, episode for your audience. Absolutely. I'm so excited. So Tom, tell us a little bit about you, how you started, um, not necessarily your investing yet, but like about you, about your family, the things you enjoy doing, just who you are. Absolutely. So uh, I've been married, actually, it's coming up on 10 years this September, um, which has been awesome. Uh, we've got two kids. We got a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And my wife and I currently run three very different businesses. So people are usually kind of surprised because when we tell them about it, they're like, how do you go from business one to business two? Um, but there's a logical path between all of them. <laughs> so, so the first business was real estate investing, obviously. Uh, we also then own a wine and liquor store. And then we also uh, work with other entrepreneurs to really help them start and grow their businesses. And for us, it's a focus on not just creating a business to create a business, but creating a business to create your ideal life. So my wife and I have been able to both leave our jobs, which has then opened up just so much more than we would have thought about, you know, even 10 years ago of being able to build the lives we want, spend the time with our kids and our family, and really just do the things that we want to do and not be constrained to like a job. That's, that's fantastic. So what is your ideal life? Because I know you, you do coach that, you teach that, and that's, that's part of your business model is to help other people. What is your ideal life? Yeah, it's funny because we, we've always had an idea, and I think most people do. They have an idea, but they don't really solidify it and, and kind of update it as life changes. So um, a funny story that kind of leads me to that was I used to, like, my I got started in real estate and even entrepreneurship as I was graduating college. And I basically looked ahead. I had a software um, development degree, and I looked ahead, and I'm like, you know, I don't want to spend the next 45 years in a cubicle. Like that's not the life I want for us and our family. And so 
you know, from there, I basically said, all right, well, I'm going to retire by 35. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I want to retire by 35. How, wait, how old are you at the time when you decided that? This was uh, just graduating college, so like 21. 21, okay. Yep. Awesome. So basically, I gave myself 14 years. I'm like, you know, I don't want to like rush it, but I don't want to wait 45 years. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, absolutely. But so what's funny is I, I went out, we started the businesses, we did a bunch of stuff. But a couple of years ago, I had a mentor who said, Tom, quit telling people that you want to retire by 35. He's like, you're never going to retire, but what you're going to do is have more control over your time and how you spend it. And I thought that was such a great reframe because I won't retire. Like I, I love helping entrepreneurs and just talking about this stuff. So it's not that I'll retire, it's that I'll shift how I do it. And, and like for us, um, really our ideal life is having control over what we want to do and when we want to do it. So like one of the things we said this year was we're taking Fridays off. So our daughter's home from school in the summer. We took our son out of daycare and Fridays, we're just going to start going on like day trips and, you know, just having that control over, you know, the experiences that we can have as a family. That is, that's great. And being able to do that, being able to have the freedom to do that. Not a lot of people do. They don't have the freedom to do that. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the unfortunate thing is we talk to a lot of people that don't even think that's possible. You know, like we always like our, one of our, our podcast is called lifestyle builders and it's all about how to build that ideal lifestyle. And we get people all the time that are like, well, I'd love to do X or I'd love to be able to take my family here, but there's no way I can do it. And the one thing that we always like to tell them is, you know, quit saying there's no way to do it and start thinking about, well, how can I do that? Absolutely. You know, because what that does is it just opens up your mind to saying, well, I would have to maybe sacrifice this or I'd have to do this thing. But now you're at least thinking of ways you can do it instead of instantly shutting it down. That's, I, I couldn't hit say it any better. So I personally believe being an entrepreneur or being somebody that is not basically not working a job. And so being an entrepreneur is somebody, in my opinion, that is not working a job that's relying on themselves to provide for themselves. And so being an entrepreneur, it's all about problem solving. It's all about finding a problem and figuring out what that solve how to solve it. What's the answer to that problem? Now that's not that that could be anything from your what your customer's problem is solving that so that they pay you money, which in real estate, it's somebody needs a place to live, solve that problem, have a have a good place for them to live, where they pay you money every single month and you make money. But another one would be what problems do you have in getting that first property or starting your business or quitting your job? Like what's that problem? And then figure out how you can actually get that problem solved to move on to the next problem, which then eventually once the problems are all solved, like I just went on a six week trip with my family in Europe because I have zero problems to solve. They're all solved. So it's, I, I couldn't have said that any better. So I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Well, and that's a really important um, thing to bring up is one opportunities are all around, but oftentimes they're disguised as what we call problems. So like one of the things that we like to do and, and most entrepreneurs, you know, feel this way. And if you're, by the way, if you're a real estate investor, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Most entrepreneurs realize that when people are complaining or when something changes and it causes people pain or they're complaining about it, that's an opportunity to be able to help them solve that pain and also make money or create a business out of that. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, um, tell us a little bit about how you, well, was your first business real estate and, um, was there uh, another avenue that you were going to go, but then found real estate? How did that play out? 
Yeah. So like I said, um, basically before college and even in college, I, I really didn't like learning. I, I did everything I could to avoid reading books. I just had no interest in it. And I always found like school boring. I got good grades, but I, I just never was engaged. And when I was graduating college, uh, like I said, I was looking ahead and I'm like, man, this isn't the life I want. And uh, a friend actually gave me a book called The Automatic Millionaire. And he's like, I'm like, dude, I don't read. <laughs> he's like, no, trust me, read this book. It's going to change your life. And so I went home, I read it and I had come from, my parents were divorced when I was younger and I had actually had my own apartment and I was always working jobs and side businesses since I was 16. Um, so when I read this book, the concept was basically by just, you know, paying yourself first, um, saving money, starting young, you can become a millionaire. And that like blew my mind. But then I was like, I don't want to wait 45 years to become a millionaire. Like compound interest is great, but how do I, how do I speed it up? And so I set that goal and I started looking for ways to make money. And I naturally went to the stock market. I realized very quickly that one, you need money to make money. And two, you've got to learn a lot and know a lot because there's a lot of factors outside of your control. And then I went into trying to do an MLM because it seemed like a, a good path to go. That wasn't we the case do. for me at all. <laughs> all Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kept trying to start different businesses and my wife actually just kept saying, no, 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 like I don't want to do it. And so one of my great ideas was, well, we're renting an apartment right now. What if we just bought a duplex? We'll live in one half. We'll rent the other side out. And then basically we won't pay any rent. I thought it was genius. She did not. <laughs> <laughs> So, so basically the pattern that was coming up here was I kept trying to start a business. She kept shutting it down. And ultimately I was driving home from my job and I was just depressed. And an ad kind of came on the radio that said, Hey, are you looking to build your dream lifestyle? You know, you can do it through real estate. There's a free two hour training. And I'm like, yes, this is it. <laughs> so for anyone that's heard these ads or maybe hasn't been to these things, essentially what they do, they give you a free two hour training that just basically gets you excited. And then they sell you into like a three-day training. For me, it was 500 bucks. So I took my cousin. I said, let's go to this. So we went to this three-day training. And then they basically give you a little bit of information on real estate. They overload you with all the different st strategies you can use. And then they upsell you into very expensive packages. So I was ready to walk out the door. And then I was like, you know, if I don't make this work, how am I going to make it happen? So ended up spending about $7,500 on two different credit cards that were like 25% interest rate to buy this advanced real estate training and come to find out one, this was nine months before we got married. Um, I didn't tell my wife and I just put a bunch of money on two credit cards that we didn't have money for. Oh man. <laughs> so that was my intro into real estate. Um, we went to one of the training sessions. I ended up finding out that it wasn't that valuable. And all the rest of the ones, I was going to have to travel across the country. So travel costs, all of that. And I, I looked and I stepped back and I said, you know what? You're a problem solver. You've already got enough information. And guess what? You have the internet. So I started looking online. And within a couple of weeks, I basically said, I'm not going to go to any more of these trainings. I'm just going to go and do the work. And within a couple of weeks, I found a duplex in the paper, called the owner, ended up um, getting that under contract. And within like two months, we had our first duplex. And then it just snowballed from there. That's awesome. So in getting that first property, was that was that difficult? Like getting, because I know you already had the mind shift that you wanted to go this route and be an entrepreneur, invest in real estate. Was it actually hard 
to get that first property and from then sequentially down the road with the multiple properties that you have, was it easier as you bought more properties? Was the first one the hardest and did it get easier after you did that? Yeah, first one's definitely the hardest uh, because you don't know what you don't know. And for anyone that hasn't bought your first property yet, I want to give you a piece of advice that I learned. So when I first got started, I was so afraid to like make a phone call or to make an offer. And I was like, if these people don't think I'm an expert or I'm this big company, they're never going to want to talk to me. So I went out and like tried to come up with a perfect business name and I like made business cards and I had all these scripts and I, I tried to do everything, which was actually just delaying me from getting the first deal. What I ended up finding out that first deal and then and beyond you're actually better off to be an individual that's inexperienced because when you go to work with somebody on buying their house, they don't want to work with a big corporation where they're just a number. They want to work with a person. And if you come in and to be honest, be like, hey, look, I'm just getting started in this, but I know I can help you. Let's kind of figure out how to do that. One, they're going to be more open to talking to you. Two, they're actually going to help you along the way because if you say, great, we just we just got a deal or we just you know agreed on a price, um, to be honest, I'm not sure what to do next. Uh, let me go talk to somebody. They're going to be appreciative of your honesty yeah. and the fact that you're willing to help them. Yeah, I find that being as real as possible, not not showing, uh, trying to be fake or or even just make something bigger than you are, because people are pretty wise. They'll, I think, they'll catch on to it pretty quickly. But be just being honest and being real. That's the best way that I found to run my business is just be straightforward and up and honest. And so I can, I think that's great advice. And with that, so one of our core tenets of how we run businesses is our first thing is called do the right thing. So whenever we get to a decision the correct answer is do the right thing. And here's how that pays off for you. So there's a lot of people where if you're going to get into real, real estate investing, it's probably not going to be the option for most people where they're going to make the most money. And I'll tell people that. I'll say, look, I'm a real estate investor. We, this is how we do things and we've got to be able to make some money. If you're looking to really maximize how much money you get for selling this house, your best option is to go to a realtor. And so what I'm doing is I'm not trying to like get a deal or whatever. I'm trying to just help these people out. More often than not, if I tell somebody that, either they're going to say, I already tried a realtor. That's not the way to go. I just want to get this house sold. Or they're going to go and try the realtor. Maybe they'll sell their house and they'll be good. But if not, they're going to come back to you because you were the one that helped them out there. And then they realized that option didn't work for them. I found in business, the more people I help, the better my business becomes because it all comes back to you. I, I believe because you help somebody, you just give them either free advice or you literally help them to do something and you're not charging them any money for it. But at the end, they're going to say, Hey, this, this person was really valuable. Like they helped me out. They didn't want anything in return. I'm going to go back and benefit them by either selling the house, your, their house to you or whatever it might be, or even just telling their brother, Hey, you're selling your house. Go to this guy. This guy's great. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, in terms of the first time you do something like, I remember when we became parents for the first time, I had no idea what we were doing. Like I had never changed a diaper. I'm like, how do I make sure that this, I don't like kill this kid? Like it, it was scary, but you know what? Anyone that's a parent, you figure it out. You jump in, you take action and, and you're going to, you're going to do well. It's the same thing with real estate. You, you got to learn a little bit of information to even know like what type of investing you want to do. But beyond that, you're going to learn just by jumping in, making some mistakes. Um, but a big part of that too is just having the right people around you to help guide you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's like what 
your business that you do now where you instruct people and you help them to build their lifestyle. It's, I, well, I did it the wrong way. I tried to do everything on my own. I did exactly the same thing as you. I took that, that free seminar and then bought into the, the two or three day seminar, did that too. But when it came down to, you know, like the 25 or $30,000 that they wanted for an advanced course, I thought, I don't have that, number one. And number two, if I did, I'll just go buy a property and learn learn myself. So that's the route that I went. Um, now, I realize now after the fact, I wish, not necessarily saying I would have bought that, that you know, really expensive course, but I wish I would have sought out more people that actually have done this before because I lost tons and tons of money doing things wrong. Now I've learned that, like, hey, I, this didn't work. Do it this way now. I've learned that many times over. So now I have a business where it's solid enough where I've gone through so many different issues that I've worked out all the kinks. I understand now how to actually run a business because I've lost money. And so I, that lost me money, but this is making me money. Let me do more of this. And so, but yeah, learning from other people's mistakes is one of the best things that you can do to be an entrepreneur. So Tom, now you touched a little bit about the, um, and it was a duplex, right? The first property you bought. Did you, did you live in part of it? No, we didn't. This was actually a, a pure investment. Very, very cool. Yeah. So basically after I proposed that idea to my wife, she shut it down and we ended up buying a single family that we moved into. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but so after that, uh, we ended up finding the duplex. Uh, one apartment was rented. The other one wasn't. So what was kind of nice was we got to go in, um, renovate it a little bit. And then we had both units rented within like a month, which was great. Oh, that's nice. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. So can you expand a little bit more on the duplex? So how did you find it? If you would share how much you bought it for, what the rents, your income that you make, and just give us a little bit of the details because all the people that are listening on the, on the podcast, they're interested in how they can get started and, you know, getting an idea of what a good property looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this one we actually found in the local newspaper. So we were just looking through the, the for rents and the for sales and somebody was selling it. Um, Called them up, talked to them. They wanted originally, I think, like thirty-six thousand for it. Um, ended up negotiating them down to about twenty-nine thousand. And part of this, this is a really good tip. When I talked to them, I was just asking questions because I was so nervous and I really didn't know what to do next. So I just started talking and asking them questions. Come to find out, they had bought the property a year and a half before. Um, they got it as a foreclosure and then they didn't want to be landlords. So they were trying to get rid of it and they had tried to sell it one other time and the deal fell through. So kind of by mistake, by asking questions, I learned a lot more about their situation and I knew that their biggest thing wasn't necessarily making money because they had bought it um, for like $10,000. So they were going to make money anyways on it. So after kind of getting some of that information, we were able to negotiate them down and really build a win-win. So we bought it, I think for about 29. Um, the most difficult thing actually, believe it or not, was it was such a good deal that we couldn't get it financed with a bank because it was so low cost. So, so picture this, I'm, I'm, uh, I was 22 at this point, 22 year old, um, just got a deal for 29,000 for a house. And I went to these banks and one challenge was they're like, well, you're too young. What do you know about this? Why are we going to give you money? And then two, a lot of banks came back that wanted to help us. And they're like, you know, this is like car loan territory, not like mortgage territory. Um, so I actually got turned down at a whole bunch of banks, which discouraged me quite a bit. 
Um, but the thing that I figured out, because I, I went on and like you said, I started finding other real estate investors just to say, is this a good deal or I'm missing something? And they're like, it's a good deal, but go to a local bank because usually what they'll do is they'll be able to do loans other people won't. And sometimes they'll do what's called portfolio loans where they actually do the loan in-house instead of selling it on the secondary market, which means that they can be more flexible. Um, so that's actually what I did. I went and got the loan. Uh, and then when we first when we first got it, it was quite a few years ago, I think we were getting like 500 per unit. So we were bringing in about $1,000 a month. Um, the mortgage, including the taxes and interest, was about 469 So when we took everything out, we were making well over $100 per door once everything was covered, which was really our first goal. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So in in getting that property, did you manage it yourself? Because that also, you know, management costs, if you have that put in there, do you manage it yourself? How do you do with that first property? Yep. So the first property, we did everything. And um, the place we bought it, we actually invested in these smaller rural towns. And they, they didn't have property management companies there. So a big mistake that I made was I didn't include a 10% cost for property management. So if you're listening whether you're going to manage it yourself or you're going to hire it out is part of your calculations. You want to make sure you include that cost because if you start out managing it and you want to hire it later, you want to make sure that cost is built in. Oh yeah, absolutely. So now when you do buy properties, how do you do it now? We'll shift a little bit to now your current business model with the real estate. What do you do now with your uh, managing the properties and maintaining them and all that sort of stuff? Yep. So most of the properties we buy are usually pretty run down. So we'll get them like you asking before how we get properties, um, newspaper, uh, tax auctions, bank auctions. Um, sometimes people will come to us because they know we buy properties. Uh, so if there's a way to buy property, we've probably done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but from there, basically our strategy was we would buy, uh, a couple properties every year. And at first we were doing everything. And then I started getting sick of like driving to the properties on the weekends to like tear drywall out and all of that. So we started saying, okay, every property we're going to buy, we're going to start to systematize it a little more. We're going to start to hire more out. And because we knew that we we couldn't hire a property manager. We're like, well, let's build our business and put the right people in place so that eventually we're not really going to have to do much. So like at this point, um, we still don't have a property manager, but we've built the staff and the team and the systems to really take care of that. So if somebody's interested in our property, they go to our website, they can see all the information they need. They can schedule a property tour. They can submit an application all online. Uh, we've got people that we call for any of the maintenance that comes up and we've got people that handle a lot of the administrative stuff. So we end up spending, you know, a couple hours a month just on like the strategy and the financials and beyond that, like we're not ever at the properties or any of that. So do you, are these contractors or subcontractors or are they actual employees where you give them a W2 at the end of the year? How, how does that work out? Yep. At this point, uh, they're all subcontractors. We actually tried about two years ago to bring an employee in to handle a lot of this. Um, couple issues we ran, we ran into. One, insurance was crazy because they considered us a construction business, even though this employee was basically just doing office work and showing the properties and that type of thing. Um, so we ended up kind of shifting away from that and we just have, um, yeah, basically subcontractors for each of the, the main roles that are required. 
do your tenants, do they submit like a maintenance request to you through your website? And then you, it's your job to say, okay, this is a plumber. So a handyman or a plumber, you know, something like how does you manage all that yourself? Exactly. Well, we have a person that really handles the phone and we, we set up, this is a great tip for, for real estate investors too. Um, you can set up a free phone number through Google voice. So we have a free phone number that's actually local to the area because we're not. And so when people call that, what they actually get is, um, it sounds like they're calling a local number and then we can forward that to any number anywhere. So we have somebody that now takes care of, you know, those calls. And then they basically have a process to say, if this, then do that. And they're coordinating all that. So now Tom, with your properties that you are managing yourself, you have, um, somebody that, so you know, obviously we, we hear a lot of people say, well, that I don't want to handle the 2 a.m. calls. I don't want to have those 2 a.m. And for some reason, it's always like, you know, it's always 2 a.m. that people are concerned about <laughs> those phone calls. Now, um, do you get those or how do you handle those or how do, what, what happens with those types of concerns that pop up that are really emergencies? Yeah. So one of the things is your mindset when you get into this. So what a lot of people will do is they, they do the least amount of work required and then they just like cross their fingers and hope nothing will happen. And when you take that approach, what ends up happening is you get a lot of emergencies. So a lot of what we do, like I said earlier, most of the properties we buy are pretty run down. So we actually renovate them top to bottom for the most part. So we're putting new wiring in, new plumbing in. We're basically taking care of anything that could be a problem, which is going to set us up and reduce the amount of issues we get. You do all new plumbing um, and electrical? It, it depends on, it de yeah, it depends on the property. I mean, some of them have been complete guts and we'll just put everything in new. Um, other ones, we'll take a look and if the stuff that's in there is good, we'll keep it. But um, this is kind of the nice thing about our approach because most of it's so run down. Instead of like having issues behind the walls and you never know they're there, um, usually we're either they're already open or we're opening them up and then we can kind of take care of things. Um, but the other thing is, you know, doing routine kind of checks on your property and encouraging tenants to call you and let you know if there's an issue. So, you know, like for example, you were talking about all the mistakes you made that cost you thousands. One mistake that we made um, in our area, we had to pay for water because they were basically sick of tenants skipping out on it. So, but water is only billed to us every three months. And so if there's a leak or anything like that, we're not going to know about it. So we had tenants in the past that their toilet would be running and it would just run 24 hours a day. And we had no way to know. And they didn't tell us until we got an $800 water bill in there. You know, so one of the things that we started doing was when we brought a new tenant in, we would take them through the process and really emphasize, hey, if, if there's any problems, like let us know because it's going like we don't want you guys to be inconvenienced. Plus, it's going to be easier and cheaper if we can take care of these things ahead of time. So now instead of a tenant just not caring, they tend to be letting us know more. And then we'll periodically also do inspections just to make sure like are the batteries and the smoke alarms? Um, is there any issues? And then that also gives us a chance to kind of look at the property, stay connected with the tenants, that type of thing. I, yeah, I think that's, that's very, very smart, especially going through the property too. Like a lot of, a lot of uh, landlords will say, well, I'm not going to actually go through the property unless they get, they give me a call. Well, that's not smart, especially if you have maybe section eight properties or, um, you know, more lower, lower clientele or lower class clientele that might not take care of the property as well. 
Yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, to your point, you want to be like, we've really focused on our onboarding process for tenants and we set expectations. Um, we let them know how to do all this stuff because the more proactive you can be in a lot of this, not only is it going to save you headaches later on, but it's also going to save you a lot of money. Because like you said, the first time they saw a mouse, if you guys went in and took care of it, they're not going to have mice issues. You're going to take care of it when it's small and they're not going to have chewed through electrical or done other damage that now costs you lots of money. Do you run background checks? We, you know, we've gone back and forth. Um, a couple of things we've found is, and I think everyone's going to test this. Um, in our area, most of the people coming in, credit scores were almost worthless because a lot of them had credit issues. So it wasn't really telling us a lot. Um, we do run a couple checks. We've really tweaked our application to have a lot of questions. And basically what you want to do, you want to be looking for all the signs along the way that you shouldn't rent to somebody. So for example, by having a lot of questions, the people, and we put right on the application, any incomplete or um, incorrect information will disqualify you. So the first test is like, do they follow the instructions right? Um, what we've started doing over the last like two years is we have them actually attach a copy of their pay stub. So now we've got more verification. And if someone's not willing to do that, they're probably not willing to do other things as a tenant. And we don't want those people. So we, we have a process that they got to go through. And if they follow it all, it makes it easier for us. Plus, it also makes sure we're going to probably get a good tenant. The other thing that we've here's a, a really good tip, too. Make sure that you get not only their current landlord, but their previous landlord as well. Because if if there's a nightmare tenant and you call their current landlord, they just want to get them out of the property. <laughs> That's a good so they're going to be like, yeah, they're a dream tenant. <laughs> and, and you don't know. So what you want to do is actually call the previous landlord because they're going to tell you the truth um, and make sure that you're not acquiring like a bad tenant. That's a good idea. One reason why I do the background checks. It's really to, because I agree, some places that I invest, majority of the tenants are going to have a 500 credit score or worse. Like the credit is not really what I'm so concerned about. What I'm really concerned about is the eviction history and understanding how many times they have been evicted. That is a big key to if they're going to need to be evicted again. Yep. And um, a lot of it too, I think it's so dependent on where you invest. Because like, like for example, in the town that we invest in or the couple towns, the mentality of landlords is they're actually going to do what's called like cash for keys. They're going to pay yeah. bad tenants to leave instead of evicting them. So even if we did run some of those background checks, the eviction would never show up. So, so knowing that it, it makes less of a sense in our area, but for example, if you're in a bigger city or you're somewhere where they do get the eviction history, um, a couple bucks on a background check could save you a lot of money. It very well could. Thinking of saving money, I, I know for me, doing a background check has saved me tons of money. Is there anything else that you can think of that would, if you can give somebody a tip of do X, Y, or Z, or do this, that would save you money um, in the long run? What Do you have anything like that? Absolutely. Uh, how much time do we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've probably lost tens of thousands over the years just by not doing some of this stuff. Um, but we've got most of it honed in now. The biggest thing that I could tell people is to put processes in place and try to keep them standard. So, for example, um, all of our properties, it's the same paint color on the walls. It's the same trim color. Uh, we buy everything in bulk, so we end up saving money. Um, when we go to, like, uh, renovate a property after someone's moved out, it's consistent. So that way, it like, it's our contractor's not having to call us and say, what paint color should we use? Because it's 
it's already there and we probably already have leftovers from the previous property. Um, same type of thing, even with uh, when tenants are calling in, hey, if someone calls in and has this issue, here's what they do. And that way, not only for you, if you're managing your own, but then eventually if you hand it off to somebody else, they already know all the processes and it takes the decision and it takes having to have people come back to you um, out of the equation. That's a great tip. That, that really is. So when you got started investing in, in real estate, what was the what was the, the catalyst for you to say, now I'm going to jump into the next property? Because getting the first property, we know that's the hardest. But once you have it, what was what made you not number one, or I guess basically number one, be able to buy? Because people say, well, you know, I saved up money, bought this first property, but now I don't have any money for the next one. Like, wh- how did you get to the next property and then subsequent properties after that? Yeah, so um, a couple things we did. One, and, and this is what I recommend to everybody even when you decide to invest in real estate, what you first want to figure out is what are your end goals? And for me, obviously the end goal was to leave a job and be able to support myself with real estate and our businesses. So I basically said, okay, looking at the numbers, if I can make at least $100 of positive cash flow a month after everything else is taken care of, then I just started running and saying, how many properties do I got to buy to meet my goals? Um, and for me, like when, at the beginning, you want to figure out like what type of investing do you do? So like you could flip houses, but that requires more time up front. You got to manage a project and then you might get more money at the end, but then you got to go and do it again. So for me, I knew to get to my goals, having long-term rentals was going to be the way to do it. So we went through and basically said, all right, well, that's our strategy for how we're going to invest. And then basically from there, what we went through and did was said, okay, now that I know how many properties I got to invest, once I get the first one done... I'm always like, even while I got the first one going on, I'm always looking for the next one. And even if I didn't have the money available, if the deal was good enough, I'd figure out a way to do it. So like the strategy that we used, um, we actually, so I partnered with my father. We ended up taking a loan from his home equity line of credit to buy the first property. Um, And then once we did that, we bought it, we renovated it, and then we went and refinanced it with the bank. When we did that, Um, By the way, if you go and try to buy like a property that needs repairs from the bank, um, they're not going to likely give you a mortgage because you need a furnace or you need something else. So by bringing our own cash, we could buy the property easier. And then by refinancing it, the bank's going to give you typically 80% or 75% um, of the value of the property back to you. So for example, if we bought a property for $25,000 and then we put $10,000 into it to fix it up, um, we've got 35000 into it. The bank, let's say it was worth 65000 The bank would then come and give us 80% of that 65000 So they would actually give us, I don't know, 50000 whatever that is. Um, so then what we did was we took the 35000 and paid back the home equity line of credit. And then we actually had about you know, 10,000, 15,000 left over that we could then buy the next property with. So we just kept rolling things over like that. And the more properties you get, obviously the easier this is. Well, and you were talking earlier about having having mentors and having people around you. That's one of the things that I've found to be so key because for a long time, I was trying to do everything myself. I, I had what I called my ego, like, oh, I can figure this out or, you know, I don't need some, I don't need to pay somebody else. But when I got over that ego and I started saying, these people are where I want to be, like, how do I bring them into my life? Can I offer them something? Can I pay them? And once I started surrounding myself by these people that were much more successful than I was and where I wanted to be, 
it was amazing and it was uncomfortable at like how much they pushed me, how much they saved me by not making these mistakes. So like that's one of the biggest things we just talked about. If you have a good deal, share it with somebody. Like find some people either in your network or pay a coach or whatever to get a second set of eyes from somebody that's experienced and it's going to save you stress, time, money, all of that in the long run. So how was it or how hard was it or explain the process of setting up that business? Because you're basically the property manager, but you have people that do the work. I usually hire property managers because I didn't want to think about the property. I want them to give me the check every single month. How was it going to setting up that business, finding those people that are going to be working for you, getting that business set up? Can you explain that process? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I would say is if you have the option of a property manager in your town or city, like go to them first. And, you know, there's there's different screening and stuff you want to do, but they probably already have a lot of the processes set up. So it's going to save you a lot of time. Um, we didn't have that option. So I, I basically treat real estate just like I treat any business. I look at it as a business. And if you look at any business, you've got basically the strategy and planning. Like what are our goals? What are we doing and how we're going to do it? And then you've got three main functions. So you've got marketing and sales. How are we going to get potential customers in and then sell them our product? In our case, it's real estate, right? It's, it's rent. And then you've got operations. So now that somebody's paid you, how do you deliver on that? How do you, um, you know, give them a good house? How do you do maintenance, all of that? And then you've got finances, which is basically saying, track money coming in, money going out, and let me make sure I'm making enough profit. So if you look at real estate or any business that way, what you start doing is saying, okay, what are the core functions within each of those that need to be there for everything to work? So for marketing and sales, like, okay, I've got to be able to attract potential tenants. I need to be able to screen them and then I need to be able to move them in. So now once you've defined that, you can say, okay, well, what are the steps to market a property? And we basically go through everything very systematically. What starts a process? So maybe it's um, somebody giving us a notice that they're going to leave. Okay, so now we know that we've got to now start marketing it. And then we go through what are the major steps until we get to the end to say, how does this process end? Well, somebody pays us money and moves into the property. Tom, a couple last questions before we wrap up. So first one is, hypothetically speaking, if all your businesses were gone, everything was taken from you, and you had to start over with, you know, like maybe 100 bucks in your pocket, um, how would you start investing in real estate and building your business back up to where you have passive income, like you were saying, for retirement, it's, it's there for you, all that sort of stuff. How would you start from scratch, and what would you do? Yep. First thing I'd do is I'd look in my local area and find the people that were doing what I wanted to do. And then I would spend that $100 to take them to coffee, take them to lunch, do whatever I could to get close to these people. Um, next to that, what I'd probably do is see how I could work for them, right? Because here's the thing. You can go pay a bunch of money for a coach, which, you know, as long as you find the right coach, that's a great investment. But another way to learn and actually get paid while you learn is to go work for somebody that's doing what you want to do. Because guess what? They're going to teach you their processes, right? How do they find properties? How do they run their ship? And then you're going to get a really good insight into how to run that business. And then let's say that maybe you find a good deal. They might partner with you on it or, or something like that. So without a lot of time, money, and even experience, you're now getting back in with people that are doing it, which will give you a great launch pad. That is a fantastic, fantastic advice. I know that um, when you think about it, even if you weren't being paid, you know, if, if, 
if you wanted to invest in stocks and you said, well, let me pick the most the, the most brilliant person in stocks. Right now, Warren Buffett is arguably one of the the most the, the best person when it comes to stocks. Go and work for him for free and learn from him. And then when you're done after you know, two, three, four years of working with him, you will be able to be as wealthy as him, even though you weren't getting paid. All that knowledge you get from somebody that's brilliant like that, that is going to be worth so much more than you getting paid, you know, hourly wage doing something like that. So you, you want to work to gain knowledge, not work to make money. And yeah, that, that's a great advice. Well, I was going to say, and, and that thing you just said bears repeating, you want to work to gain knowledge, not to gain money. And, you know, what I'll tell a lot of people, like a lot of people, especially if they want to leave their job, they, they're trying to get out of their job so much. And usually they'll quit too soon and then they end up causing all this other pressure. What I want you guys to think about, though, is whatever you've got to do, do something to take care of your monthly bills. And then beyond that, Search for knowledge, not for money, because when you learn that stuff, you're going to be able to generate more and more money. Um, but a lot of people end up getting caught up in always trying to get money for whatever they're doing. And oftentimes the knowledge is way more valuable than the money ever will be. All right, Tom. So last question I have for you. What is a resource or basically like a book? What book would you recommend? Uh, it could be real estate. It could be, um, you know, passive income, mindset, whatever. Yeah, you know, so... I said I never used to read. I've read like well over a thousand books now. So there's so many good ones out there. Um, but I'm going to go back to a classic and it's not even specific to real estate, but it's going to give you what you need to be successful. And that's called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is one of the books that I read every year. And what's crazy about it is it's really all about you and your mindset and, and how you think about things and who you are as a person. And what success comes down to is really who you are as a person and what decisions and mindset you have. Because guess what? People look at our businesses and they're like, well, how do you, how do you have a real estate business and a wine and liquor store and then a coaching business? And I'm like, they're all businesses, right? And the common factor in all of those is me. So I, yeah, so you, you could tell me another industry to get into or like with my coaching clients, the majority of the time, I haven't worked in their industry, but I understand how to think like a business owner and the things to look at. And this book is one of the ones that every year helps reiterate what are those key things that I should be looking at and doing myself. Who wrote that? Uh, Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. Okay, yes. I don't think I, I may have listened to the audiobook. I, I, I'm like you, um, although I, I probably still don't read as much as I should, but I listen to audiobooks absolutely love listening to audiobooks. I personally am an audio learner. And so I listen to podcasts, I listen to sermons, I listen to audiobooks, all that sort of stuff. And that's how I get that. So I'm gonna have to grab that one. So that's a, that's a great resource. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, there, there's a bunch of other ones too. I mean, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a huge one that changed my mindset. And for a lot of people, you know, kind of shifted how you thought about money and time and even like going to work for someone for free. Like that's a huge concept they talk about within there. Absolutely. Yep. So Tom, tell us a little bit about your your coaching and how you help people with their business. Because like you said, you know, it's real estate or a uh, liquor store or um, coaching somebody. It's all it's all about business. It's having a product that you're trying to get other people to either have a desire for or buy. You're basically solving problems. But tell us a little bit about your business that you're currently working on the coaching. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I have a coaching business. And uh, essentially the way this came about was people were coming to us saying, one, 
uh, how do you guys get everything done? You've got multiple businesses. You've got two kids. Um, Tom, you're still working a job. Like, how do you get everything done? And then two, they're like, can you help us do it? And so we didn't really think much about it, but ultimately I had taken a lot of the stuff I learned from business and then even like the corporate consulting I was doing and brought it home. And we always, you know, integrated our life and our business together. So we just kind of did this stuff naturally and it worked. But what we realized was that other people could benefit from that and they were starting to ask us for it. Um, so we do a lot of one-on-one coaching for like more established business owners, but our, our big focus now is what we call lifestyle builders. And we've got a podcast, um, we've got a mentorship that's really low cost. And what we do there is we help people get clear on the life they want. We then help them establish the routines and the planning and the systems to then work towards making that a reality. And then, you know, we've got training and all of that to support them while they do it. So, you know, this has been probably one of the coolest things we've done because our first two businesses were never like passions. It was just, these are steps to get us to where we want to go. But what we get to do now is work with all sorts of different entrepreneurs to see what ideas they have and to guide them away from some of the common pitfalls they run into. Like, so for example, when most people start a business, they fall in love with the idea and they never actually validate if it's a good idea. So what will help them do is help them figure out what goals do they have? Is this the right idea for them? And then are people willing to pay them? Like, is all the pieces going to work together? So we get to do a lot of that now. We've got a podcast um, called the Lifestyle Builders Podcast. And, um, you know, we're just really enjoying being able to help a lot of people like us that have families that want a better life to not only dream it, but put the steps in place to actually make it a reality. That's that's great. Well, Tom, this has been a blast. I know I've gotten a lot out of it. I know the listeners of the Master Passive Income podcast are going to get tons and tons out of it. How can they find you? You talked a bit about your podcast, and but give us a little more detail of how they can find you and also put it on the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So our home base online, we're, we're pretty much everywhere, but our home base online is tomandariana.com. And um, like I said, one of the best ways, you know, if you like some of what we talked about here is we do have a podcast called the Lifestyle Builders Podcast. It's on most of the major platforms. Um, but what we do is we do a new, a new show twice a week. Um, one of the episodes is my wife and I talking about a business topic or a life topic. And then we'll often bring on guests. Um, Dustin was actually on there. We'll have to link to your show um, just to talk about how do you build this lifestyle through business and different topics related to that. Tom, it's been great having you, seeing you again. It's it's always fun seeing you. I mean, it's so funny that we are so much alike. It's just silly how, how alike we are. Everything you said, I'm like, okay, I did that. And I went through that. And yes, I went through that. But it's great having you on. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you know, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, our theme throughout here has been surround yourself by good people. And, um, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, I mean, Dustin knows his stuff. You know, he's been able to do it and you're helping people in the same way, too. So, you know, I'd encourage you. This is obviously a great podcast and just keep listening. And if you actually take action on it, not just listen, this is what will allow you guys to do the same thing. All right, now that was my interview with Tom Sylvester. And remember, if you want to check out more about him, go to his website, tomandariana.com. Also, if you want to hear more from him, he has his podcast with his lovely wife, Ariana. It is Lifestyle Builders Podcast. Check him out. Now, before we go, I want to ask a quick 
favor from you, please, if you would, like, subscribe, and rate this podcast. It helps in the ranking so that more people can see see this podcast and we can get more people investing in real estate and changing their life for the better so they don't have to work a job and you won't have to work a job because you are investing in real estate and helping others to do the same. Okay, guys, until next time, this is Dustin Heiner with Master Passive Income Podcast. Get out there and start investing, start changing your life for the better. Thank you.